We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius, and the Lakers have finished a beautiful 2019-2020, a beautiful and crazy and devastating and just mind-blowing season with an NBA championship, beating the Miami Heat in Game 6, 106-93, to to clinch their 17th NBA title. Um, uh, there's My mind is all over the place, man. Um, we're recording this the morning after. We were supposed to be last night. I was way more of a mess then. I, I, just, I, I couldn't do it last night. I just needed to, yeah, just be in the moment. Um, but my mind goes in so many different places. And that's going to be kind of the way this pod goes, is we're just going to ramble and go in whatever direction the conversation takes us. But first of all, Darius, congratulations, man. Uh, we did this. It's all, I, I'm going to talk about this more later, but I think that the togetherness of this whole community, from the fans to bloggers to all of the people who cover the team to the players and ownership in general... It, if you listen to Jeannie's speech last night, she talked a lot about that concept of working together and cooperation. And uh, just this championship feels like we all have a little piece of it, man. And just congratulations for the the role that you've always played in this Lakers community, man, with so many of us who really look up to you. Congratulations for, for getting another one, man. Well, you know, congratulations to you, the Lakers employee, right? <laughs> You're... 
I know that you've been doing some stuff behind the scenes in terms of just like content production and just having conversations with um, folks on the margins and in the weeds of a lot of that side of the house. And um, there's a role we all play, right? And there's a culm- there's this idea of culmination that comes with something yeah. like this that Perfectly. just makes it meaningful. Like, Man, I that, think back to like years ago, right? And like us covering like what it's like to cover a really bad team. And you're still diligently working on videos, writing posts for Form Blue and Gold, you know, like it, the, you know, we're not the long suffering fans that other fan bases are, but just like, this is, feels like the culmination of just a lot of hard work on, on the court, off the court and on just like every level of the organization. Well, I just feel like, man, like just to focus on us for a second, because you know it's sure. all about us. But, yeah, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I said this the other day online that I'm a basketball fan, right? Yeah. And so my allegiances, first and foremost, come to the game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we covered some bad teams and we wrote blog posts and did videos and did player breakdowns and analysis and X's and O's stuff on bad teams and bad coaches and players who were no longer in the NBA, even though it was just a few years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but I love the game. Right. And, and, And so my look at those teams was never about, Oh, well, they're not good enough to win a championship. So this team doesn't matter. I, and they don't deserve my attention, right? Right. I always Shop look at carry water, man. Yeah. No, I just always look at it from the perspective of, of, all right, well, this is what we're looking at. Like this stuff still matters to me. It yes. may not matter to some rando, but it matters to me, right? Mm-hmm. It, it matters if how Byron Scott is talking in a post game press conference, right? Mm-hmm. It matters how Luke Walton is managing Julius Randle's role. It matters to me how the developmental process of of some second round draft pick mm-hmm. is going, right? Yeah. Because I wanted the best for the team, mm-hmm. right? Um but I wanted to talk about the game. And these and this is the team I follow. This is the team I love. And so I'm going to talk about the game within the context of what these players have to offer as contributors, right? right. And so Mm -hmm. you readjust your expectations about what the potential end goals are, and you look at it through the prism that those new expectations offer. So to now be in the place where this team is now as a championship winner Mm -hmm. and, and a team that showed us so much throughout the course of a regular season, then through a postponement, then through a restart, and then through um, a really sort of, I don't want to call it brutal, but a super challenging playoff run that the Lakers made look not as challenging mm-hmm. as what you would expect. Yeah. Like we'll get into this more, I think, over the course course of the pod when we start to break down just the journey of of this team in general, especially through the playoffs. But there were so many talking points from respected people about the challenges mm-hmm. that the Lakers were going to face in against every opponent 
that they faced this this postseason. Now, were they favored um, in almost every round? Pretty much, yes. But yeah. the idea that they could be beat, the idea that they were potentially in trouble, the idea that another team was going to challenge them severely, those were all ideas that were pushed out there. And I go to, now- I go to I go to Zach Lowe, right? I have a world of respect for Zach Lowe, right? It, it, like, to, to the utmost of any, he cares about the basketball. He's always trying to get better. He's, he's always trying. To, he's thoughtful. He's always trying to understand different perspectives. He's not afraid to say he's wrong. He's he really represents the best of of NBA analysts. And he was saying in the second round, you know, the Rockets should win this series. He he knew like there's something about the Rockets that he didn't trust. But to to me, that's not to say, oh, haha, Zach Lowe was wrong. Of course not. That's actually to validate your point of like that's a that's the best that the game has to offer in terms of a general NBA analyst who looked at things through fairly objective eyes, right? And who really cares about the game and says, yeah, Houston could beat the Lakers. And there were instances of that, like in, in the first round, like Portland with remember how hot Portland was coming in and they had just made the Western conference finals the year before, right? Damian Lillard is looking unstoppable. It doesn't mean they were favored in that series, but there was certainly like, yo, this is going to be tough for the Lakers. And um, that, you know, that in the postscript of this, you, you know, there's, it's going to be easy for people to say that it was this inevitable, easy type of run, but it was only inevitable because the Lakers did the work along the way to become a great basketball team. And we saw last night in game six that when they focused, and this is why I've been, I've been so much more focused on the idea of focus this season than any previous season in my analysis. It's not because I don't think the X's and O's matter. It's not because, uh, you you know, so the schematic stuff is not something that I understand. It's not something that I, that I value. I do value those things and I understand it on a, on a decent level, right? There, there are others. Cranjus, for example, is knows more about the schematics of basketball than I do. Um, That said, the talent level of this team and the the composition of the personnel, which is what I believe to be tantamount over anything else in terms of what's important, um, was so much so on another tier. And defensively, I, I remember when, because we didn't you know have these high expectations of this team going along. And then if you were to listen, somehow listen to every LFR pod over the course of an hour, say you could, you know, digest it all at once. You'd hear this progressively like, oh, oh, oh shit. Oh, they're really good. Oh my God, this defense, right? So it's like this, uh, uh, that allegiance to the game that you're talking about. Like if you were watching the basketball, this team, even like I was, I was telling everybody like, look, I, I, and I, this series was not as close as the going six feels like. It was just the Lakers being focused, right? And we yeah. saw that stark difference between game five and game six in that respect. Like I said, I'm rambling. This is going to be all over the place. I'm a mess. But yeah, that that's like this team did the work, man, to become an all-time great team. Yeah. I also think too that the Heat represented a very specific challenge for for these Lakers, specifically from that idea of focus and mental discipline. Because that's exactly what the Heat are as what a team, of. and what they take advantage of 
right? And so the, any slippage in, in that area is what the heat we're going to punish you with. And so, and on top of that, one of the strengths of the heat is forcing you into maintaining a certain amount of discipline um, and mental focus that is hard to maintain over the course of a game and over the course of a series because of the amount of mental fatigue that you then start to feel from having to stay focused for that long, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like in school when, when suddenly you all of your classes were 30 or 35 minutes and you're like, oh yeah, like I'm on it. 30 mm-hmm. and 30, 30, 35 minutes, I'm locked in. And then suddenly your classes are an hour and five minutes mm-hmm. or an hour and 20 minutes. And about 45 minutes through, you start to feel that it's that law of diminishing returns, right? Like, sure. like I can't keep this going for this entire time. And I think that that, that, that as an idea, I thought manifested itself perfectly in game five. Mm-hmm. where there was a lot of ball watching. There was a lot of like, oh, damn, like, where did my guy go? Sure. Right? And that was, I think, this idea of, A, I think the Lakers felt like they were close enough to winning a championship that that, that probably crept into their head a little oh, bit. 100%. Right? Yeah. But I think the other part of that, too, was just Miami. They were like, you know what? I don't care how close you are. We're going to keep coming and coming and coming at you. Because that's who Miami is. Miami's like Miami, that culture, they couldn't do it any other way because of how they approach day-to-day work. They are, that is how they are programmed. Like Spolstra is going to scratch the paint off of the walls with his fingernails if he has to, if he, if that means he can draw up a play that gets his team an advantage. And that, that mentality permeates, you know, Jimmy Butler is like just the best. I mean, how Jimmy Butler represents so many great things about basketball and so did the Miami heat. And so of course they were always, you had to kill the Miami heat, right? Like they were not going to lay down for you, man. And I think that that's what brings us to game six, right? And why I was so proud of what this team not only accomplished in terms of winning the championship, but in how they executed in game six, right? It was, this idea of we know Miami's not going away. We know we're not going to take their spirit. We know that if they see any sort of daylight, that they're going to not only stick their foot in the door, they're going to jam their whole body in there, right? And then try to break through it. And so the Lakers came with even more focus. They came with even more energy. Like both of those teams played so hard in game five and with only less than a 48 hour turn, turn around, go, go. You mean game six? Game, no, I'm saying both teams played super hard in game five. You thought we just, played hard in game five? I thought the Lakers played hard. I don't think they played smart. There's like a difference, right? Like. Mm-hmm. It's like the difference between the body and the mind, right? Well, like, it, like we talked about this specifically with players like Alex Caruso and Kyle Kuzma in mm-hmm. game five, they brought a shit ton of energy to sure. the floor. Yeah. It was they just frenetic, but they yeah. didn't channel it. Well, mm-hmm. they didn't play with focus. 
right? They were, they were like that vibrating ball that then just starts to bounce all over the room, right? Instead of right. following that path where they're staying on the road and right. with that discipline and commitment to mm-hmm. what needs to be executed. Instead, they're, they're passing and crashing. They are draw, they're picking up offensive fouls. They're throwing the ball, ball away. Fouling three-point shooters. Yeah. They, yeah. They're running into guys. Is, so there was a lot of that. So it's like that, I, it's that old woodenism, right? About don't mistake activity for achievement. That's what I thought the Lakers were doing a lot of in, in, well, in game five. And you could see the difference between a player like LeBron who is so mentally strong and so yeah. mentally focused yeah. and has so much experience and understanding about what these moments mean versus so many of his teammates, right? Mm-hmm. Who did not understand that, all right, I need to bring all that energy in and then direct it right where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. Because if, it, if I start to color outside of the lines at all, my whole page is just going to look like scribbles, yes. right? And so I thought both teams put out a bunch of effort in game five, but both teams then also had to turn, turn around and less than 48 hours later come and play mm-hmm. another crucial game where that same sort of mental and physical energy was going to be required in order to win the game. And what I was super impressed about when it came to the Lakers was that they locked in and they played one of their best defensive games maybe all season in terms mm-hmm. of what was on the line and the level of execution and sharpness and crispness that they had. And the Heat did not play to previous levels, and I think that that's why the score got out of hand the way that, that it did. But the Lakers understood we can't give this team daylight. And so they closed the door on them and they did it in the first half. And they outscored that team by 20 points in the second quarter, quarter man. Like there was, they were up by eight after one and they looked in control. And then in the second quarter, they turned on the afterburners and they said, we're taking this game. And it was glorious to watch. And it was something that you, I think maybe you and I both were probably looking for something like that this entire series, and it never materialized. But in game six, it did. And I honestly think game six was maybe it was the biggest game of the series, not just because it was win, win, or go home for the Heat, but because a loss in that game for the Lakers pushes them to a winner-take-all situation where they would have lost two games in a row and three games of the last four. And at that point, the, the doubt might start to creep in. The second-guessing sure. may start to creep in. And the idea that, uh-oh, they could have had an uh-oh moment. Yeah. Instead, yeah. they knocked all that away. Mm-hmm. And they, they took the championship, man, like, I was just so proud of them for how they played. Basketball is a deeply cerebral sport um, in a way that I think is really unappreciated uh, in how it's been covered and talked about really since it's started, right? It's five on five. The action can be initiated from any place on the court. Every player doesn't 
like every player could can legally do what any other player does, right? It's not like baseball or football where one guy's an offensive lineman, the other guy's a, a quarterback, right? There's a, a diversity in, in skill sets necessary. Um, there's a transition component from offense to defense on every single play. Uh, just the the level, the number of decisions that players have to make throughout a game are like with with my stuff. There's a sliver. There could be twenty other people looking at certain ads. Like every play has a story to it. There's so much to basketball, and that's why focus in particular is such is so essential to playing the highest levels of the game, which is where you're at in the playoffs and especially the finals is it's almost every play. So for example, there was a play where Anthony Davis closed out to one of their shooters. It might've been hero. He closed out to him. And then, so for Tyler hero, whomever it was coming around the screen in that moment, his decision is I've either got the pull up jumper or if AD closes out or whomever closes out hard, I dump the pass down to the big who's rolled off of the screen that I just cut off of. And a lot of what Miami does is that type of action where they're so precise and in their execution that it's just this boom, boom type of play, right? Like you close out on Duncan Robinson and then that pass is immediately gone to bam on the roll, for example. But whomever it was for Miami that came around the screen saw AD step up to contest the shot, immediately made that pass, and then AD with his other hand deflects the ball and gets the steal. And that's the type of in, – in basketball, you're always trying to create a, a one-decision advantage in that whole paradigm, right? Where I – you know, we, we've got – say Robinson coming off of a screen, that's a threat. So now AD has to step up and now there's advantage created, right? Cause that means bam is open on the roll that then the next part of that chain is say Markeith Morris rotating from the weak side to stop, to stop bam. And then if Morris does that in time, it's the skip pass to the weak side corner, right? So it's this whole sequence and chain of events. I always talk about AD being able to be two places at once on defense when he really yeah. wants to be. And that was one of those plays, man, where like he took away both the jumper and the dump-off pass. And so the the reason this series was like, Miami's going to kill you if you're not focused, as we said. But the Lakers, starting with AD's defense and LeBron's offense, have so many points where on offense, like you've got to take away you can only take away one of the things that LeBron can do. Like the, it's always basketball is very move or counter move on offense. And so if you take away the drive for LeBron, got to hope he misses that three. All right. Or if you double him, you got to hope that, you know, you, you're going to, you're going to have to give up an open shot from somewhere. Right. And then on defense is that type of shutdown that Anthony Davis has. And so there's, there's so many places along that chain where we can really shut the faucet off yeah, defensively because it's not just AD. There's so much defensive talent on this team that really focuses all it was, man. And because all, all of the problems that Miami gave us for most of the series, when we were locked in and focused, 
what, 36 points in the first half? Like, they couldn't get shots up, man. There was a play, and I think this was the play that symbolized the night for me. And I don't even remember exactly how the play unfolded. I just knew the Lakers were on a run, and Spolstra called a timeout. And so um, the Lakers had scored heat ball, timeout heat, and they go to the benches, and you know at that point, Spolster's talking to, to his guys about losing the rope a little bit and you, you know, trying to get back in well, well into the action. And I'm sure he drew up something wonderful to try to create a shot for his team. And the very next possession coming out of that timeout, do you know what happened? I don't remember. The Lakers forced a 24-second violation. Oof. And... That, to me, symbolizes the level of which the Lakers were locked in and the mm-hmm. level they were playing to defensively, yeah. right? Yeah. Because it was it was take something away, then it was rotate, 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 take it away, take it away, rotate, mm-hmm. rotate. Oh, shit. Yep. There's one second on the shot clock, and mm-hmm. I've got a guy bearing down on me. And now I'm going to have to try to take Man, take a shot. Most of the time, that guy was already there. He wasn't even bearing down. He was already there. You know, those rotations were. That's some of the best defense I've ever seen played. I, well, I'd have to go through. You know, I, I'm, I, obviously we played have played great defense in other championship runs, but just the the rotations that was that was everything that we are both in terms of execution right you got all these guys that do their job make the right rotation Danny Green KCP Alex Caruso all these guys that are making their right rotation and then talent like otherworldly talent stacked on top of that man just some of the best defensive basketball i've ever seen i want to talk about just that idea more within the context of game 6 because i thought one of the biggest and best decisions that was made this game was starting Alex Caruso instead oh, yeah. of Dwight Howard. Mm-hmm. And I did not know going into this game what sort of lineup adjustment was going to happen. You and I had talked a little bit about the potential of maybe Marquise Morris starting mm-hmm. and then having Dwight match up with Bam's minutes a little bit more. Um, we went small. And, and, I, and I easily could have seen that as a valid way of going right it, it's sort of been the 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 real shift in lineup progression that Frank Vogel's gone to over the course mm-hmm. of the playoffs um instead he went really small mm-hmm. by inserting you know a combo card sure. in for their center and yeah. it's the first game Caruso has started all playoffs um mm-hmm. and you know I think he only started two or three games during the regular season. And so Alex Caruso, who's, this is his first year on the big club full, full time. He had had two seasons on a two-way contract before this. And so he's ostensibly a rookie, right? I know yeah. he has game experience from the two, two previous years, but this is his first time playing and practicing with the, with the big, big club In the, the NBA, entire yeah. year. Yeah. I thought Alex Caruso was wonderful this game, and I don't give a damn what the stats say. Like, I just don't. He was, he was plus 20 in the box score, um, which was tops on the team, which was a trend this year a lot. When, it's, not a, 
it's not a fluke. Not a it's not a coincidence. Nope. It, it's it's he is he's been a winning basketball player for this team all year. And I thought one of the big reasons why the Lakers defense was as locked in as, as they were was because of this lineup change. It's not because Mm -hmm. Alex Caruso was the main guy around this. I thought that in the same way that you talk, talked about the progression of how a play unfolds and this decision leads to that, that decision. I've always talked to you for years now about the idea of slotting, right? Of yeah. player slotting and mm-hmm. and how to get the most out of players within the construct of a team and a team dynamic, but also in terms of lineup um, togetherness and slotting Caruso in where then he was on Hero, KCP was on Duncan Robinson, LeBron was on Jimmy and Danny Green got to play as more of a helper off of Jay Crowder with AD being this smart missile defensively rotating and sagging off of Bam. Whatever mistake needs to be erased. Yep. I thought this was the optimal defensive lineup against the Heat. Yes. And... Yeah. I I wish I would have thought of it. That was like... Because Dwight... The difference in perimeter rotations, which is what you need to do against a Heat team that uses a lot of off-ball screening, a lot of slips to the rim. Uh, they spread you out, and they're very precise with their passing. They're very quick with their cuts. The Miami Heat really know what they're doing in terms of how to play basketball. And you go with Dwight, from Dwight to Crusoe, you go from your worst perimeter rotation guy, your worst perimeter defender, if JaVale's on the bench, right, uh, in your lineup, starting lineup, to arguably your best in terms of covering space and switching. And like Al, if AC's not the top guy, he's he's very close to that on this team. And that was ultimately like, like okay, we're not, our, we're not fucking around lineup <laughs> yeah. anymore. You know, like this, that was the, one of the things I came be, uh, to really appreciate during this playoff run that, also makes me very excited about the future uh, and w- what this team can do in the next few years is I thought they did a brilliant job of holding things in reserve until they had to, right? It's, it's easy to, to go, all right, hey, if our best lineup is having AC, LeBron, and AD play together, that trio, and then with the, the other two guys interchangeable you know, relative to the team that we're matching up in a seven game series. If that's our best lineup, it's temp. It'd be easy to be like, well, why don't we just start Caruso from the beginning of the series? Right. Um, Part of that is the chess match between coaches is that I'm not giving you tape on this. I'm not giving you, uh, I don't want the decisions that I've made in previous series to be harbingers of what I'm going to do against you unless I have to. So we're going to go with every series, including Houston. And it was insane against Houston. That that game won the text messages that we were all sending to each other. It was like, what the fuck were we doing in that game? What was the game plan there? And then zooming out and after all of this playoff run has transpired, it's like, oh, you're slowly adjusting as you have to, to the team that's across from you. And 
we didn't get through all of the things that we can do and all of the versions of us that we can be. And, but that was part of what's beautiful about this playoff run is we played so many different types of teams. Every round was a slightly different type of team or a a much different type of team, especially in a league that's kind of homogenous in the NBA. That's very five out, right. Uh, For as much diversity and style as there is in the NBA, I thought we really faced a, a gamut of different teams and the way that we were able to shape shift and, and just, uh, you know, in, we ended up like, we ended up, what's the word I'm looking for? Engulfing teams. Yeah. Because we could turn ourselves into the shape that we needed to be to just smother them. Well, there's several tangential thoughts that come off of that, right? The first thing is, That's a credit, I think, to LeBron and AD as teammates and their versatility on the floor. I've written about them as being like the key maker, right? And this idea of of them offering a path to the solution based off the based off of their versatility that they can they can be both big and small. They can guard you everywhere on the court, both both of them. And they can both score from anywhere on the court, both of them. And so constructing lineups around them becomes so much easier because you can, let's start three guards, which -hmm. is what they did in game six. Let's start another traditional center like they did against Denver, right? Um, And, and against Portland, let's play, let's play Markeith Morris and there'll be, and I wrote about Morris this series as well as, as I think being this key player who brought both toughness and sort of a bully mentality as a stretch power forward. And, and so he, I thought, enabled the Lakers to lean into one of the best versions of, of, of themselves as like this smash mouth small ball team. Right, yeah. which is like this oxymoron. Yeah, of, that's exactly what we were, though. But so credit to LeBron and AD as just individual, like, like giant star level talents within the solar system. That's the thing. Right? Is like this idea sounds great. Oh, we're going to shapeshift. We're going to be whatever type of team we want to be. Hey, doesn't that sound great? Why doesn't everybody do that? Right. That's. But that's why the you know having those two superstars and and why Palinka did such a brilliant job with constructing the cast around them is is understanding the this team is built around the very best strengths of those guys and what they bring to the table and they they and pretty much they alone only a couple other I mean gosh I'd have to get into it I think about it more, but like KD and Kawhi, I think are the only two that are really as high level Swiss army knife as LeBron and AD are. Yeah. Right. Like every other top guy has something like steps, obviously brilliant. And he's, but he's small. He can get physically taken out of a game, you know, his, so LeBron and AD's outside shooting, let's say that that's their weakness, even though they were both like 42%. They're ridiculous, man. Um, but say that's their biggest weakness, right? That their biggest weakness is better than a guy like Steph or James Harden or Giannis even, right? Because Giannis yeah. doesn't have the triple threat ability. And, and so 
the playoffs in a lot of senses are about what is your biggest weakness? Yes, that's exactly what the playoffs are. It is a war of attrition <laughs> and the targeting of weaknesses. That's yes. what the playoffs are. Yeah. And it's who can cover up their weaknesses the best or who has so few of them that they can't be exploited consistently and who can then turn the tables on the other team by causing fissures within specific lineups and go-to personnel groupings to then find weaknesses against those other teams or have such a talent or or have such specific talent advantages in key places that you generate weakness simply yeah. by having these guys on the floor and the story of these lakers is likely going to be that LeBron and AD were both the players who could help cover up weaknesses on their own team while being good enough players to exploit whatever weakness you had on your team to the point that it caused a domino effect in order to make you fail. And that is their greatness as players. I'm glad you mentioned Palinka because he was another one of those tangential ideas in terms of the roster construction and everything that he did to put the right players around this group. But there's a third person I wanted to ask you about, and that's Frank Vogel. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought Vogel was brilliant in a lot of ways this postseason run I think that a lo- like when you look at a player or when you look at a coach like Spolstra I he's tactically brilliant X's and O's brilliant um I thought where vocals brilliance most most came out was consistency of message and in flexibility in terms of lineup construction and deployment in ways Which to I, 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 I want to pause it right there too in that like those can be two different things right consistency of message but also variety of lineup deployment that's really hard to pull off right because you're having different guys play different roles it's easy to have a consistent message when you're playing the same eight guys at the same minutes of the same you know of every game yeah when it's JaVale McGee starts for most of the season and then he doesn't play at all in the finals or we're going to start Dwight for a little bit. Oh, now it's Keefe. Now it's Alex Caruso. That shape-shifting requires a lot of variety in lineups, like you said. And to be so to be able to stay on message while doing that is a tremendous balancing act. And so I really just want to give Frank Vogel his flowers, right? As like the kids would say, and make sure that we're appreciative of what he was able to do. I think you credit the stars for Mm -hmm. buying in and setting that leadership tone within the locker room from a peer perspective. But I think you have to credit Vogel for being inclusive Mm -hmm. and wanting to do everything he could to get those stars on board and getting them to buy in to what he was selling and being professional and prepared enough so that when questions were asked and maybe there was pushback against an, an idea that he would have answers for that. And then flexibility 
and knowing that you don't always have all of the right answers, that when questions and pushback come to you, you know then when to back off and ex- and accept that another idea could be the right idea. And so let's go that that direction as well. There is a there's a temperament that I think you need to have in order to coach a really great team, especially a team with a really great leader like a LeBron James, who is going to just from his force of will and personality and status within the sport is going to take up a lot of airspace in, in a room. And so to be able to be a part of that management process, I think is really hard, man. And, and Vogel accomplished that this year in his first year as a head coach. When, Remember when he was hired? <laughs> yeah. You remember the day that he got hired, and I'm going to credit Brian Winhorst here because he reminded me of this when he was when he did his postgame pod with Zach Lowe last night. But the same day that Frank Vogel was hired was the same day that Magic Johnson went on first take and just blasted the organization, and he called Rob Palinka a backstabber, and 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 just. Everything was just going to hell yeah. with the I was Lakers in the hospital at that time too. On that I, was specific this day. I was like I was like, I can't it was like the one week of my life where I was not completely plugged into the Lakers because I'm like, yeah, I was like, I, I gotta turn this shit off right now. <laughs> yes. And, and so and so Vogel, he got questions about this, like at his press conference. Man. God, this seems like a different planet, man. And like I I remember I'm sorry. I'm just tripping out on just like how far we we've come, how much ground we covered this year. So continue. You're speaking exactly to that. I'm just blown away by by how how far we've come. But one of the major takeaways I had during that opening press conference was just, oh, this dude gets it. Like all of his responses were calm. He pivoted in the right direction. He brought some levity and some humor to it while also bringing a seriousness and an understanding and a thoughtfulness yeah. in, in all of his responses. And I think I had said it online at that time. And I definitely said it in conversations like, Oh, this dude has been around the block. Mm-hmm. He gets it. Right. And I don't know how good of a coach he's going, going to be, but that whole thing impressed me in a very specific way. And so and then, you know, the Jason Kidd stuff and, oh, the Lakers are going to start poorly and Jason Kidd is going to be out for his job. But there was then this idea of Vogel being like just diffusing that like, hey, I didn't really know Jason very well, but I brought him. But, you you know, but we had conversations and he's so smart and and he's going to be such a great addition to the coaching staff. And I'm not going to look at any of this from any perspective of like we're a group and we're a team. And, and, and he fostered that idea from the beginning of, of everyone's going to row in the same direction. There's not going to be any dissension among these ranks. That, and that was... As much as you want to credit LeBron and AD for driving that, I think you have to credit Vogel too. Absolutely. 
So I, I would actually like us to do a few pods on, uh, you know, like a, a giving them their flowers type series because this was this season was an astounding accomplishment from a leadership perspective. And there are all sorts of different leaders from Jeannie at the top to Polenka to Vogel, LeBron, uh, you know, the AD, AD, right? AD as a defender, especially really leading the, the team defensively. Um, that I would love to get into deeper into the different leaders, Phil Handy, right? The different leaders that we have on this team, Rondo, uh, because this season could have very easily been a too many chefs in the kitchen type of situation. Yeah. You've got a lot of strong-willed people who have very uh, well-defined opinions on the sport of basketball and philosophies. And, and, for, and, and are forceful. And are forceful. Right. And they have every damn right to be forceful. They know what they're talking about. LeBron James, Rajon Rondo, Anthony Davis, right? Uh, and even Fred Vogel. Like, well, that's what I'm getting to. That's what yeah. I'm getting to. Is So from a technical standpoint, a guy like Vogel doesn't make it to the NBA because he's got the right last name or because he was a former player. He worked his way up through the food chain and remarkably made himself very similar to Eric Spolstra, right? In terms of their journeys. It, so he grinded to get to where he is. So of course, Frank Vogel has a technical mastery of the sport. And this was something that I came to really appreciate from covering him at the beginning of this year, when we could go to those things um, was just his, his answers. Whenever I talked to him, I was like, yeah, that guy knows way more about basketball than I do. You know what I mean? You ever talk to somebody and, and they've got a level of expertise where you're like, yeah, yeah okay. I'm just going to listen to what you have to say. Um, so, but the delivery of that is important. And I think that one of the keys to how this season has worked and how that dynamic with Vogel in particular worked is I think that both the head coaching position and then Rob's position I think they have a different twist on how to do it than how we, we historically view what a general manager does and what a head coach does. And the Lakers, this is something, again, I want to do deeper podcasts on this through the offseason as we celebrate this season. That's going to be so much, so much fun. There's so much, oh, I love this team. There's so many ways that I love this team. I can't wait to talk about all of them. But cooperation is a a base foundation for the philosophy of how the Lakers work. And historically the coach was the boss and you listen to whatever the hell the coach had to say. It was an authoritarian regime. Yeah. You ran the plays that he ran, wanted to run the general manager picked the players, all of the players that he wanted. That was his job. And so there's this hierarchical way of looking at it. This I've never gone into like, many of the reasons why I dislike the Boston Celtics. Part of it is how deeply they revere the head coaching and general manager position. I think to the detriment of the players on the court and, and their impact on things. And uh, so, and I think it comes from that hierarchical type of mentality of Oh, this is the the GM is the mastermind. The more assets. We've got so many first round picks over several years, and aren't I brilliant for winning every transaction and trade? And there's this like uh, there's this devotion to that 
and the, the mentality of that when sometimes human beings can be at the cost of that, right? And how human beings are treated when the winning a trade or the acquisition of assets is really what's paramount. Um, in a more collaborative sense, Frank Vogel couldn't walk into this situation and be like, I'm the coach and y'all better shut up and listen to me. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> there's, there's no possible way. And Vogel's approach, and this is something that I saw from, you know, just all different levels. Um, he, you know, I can't get into too much into internal stuff, but he's like, he's a normal dude, right? Like he interacts with employees. I'm not talking about myself. I've never had a one-on-one with, with Coach Vogel, but um, he's a guy, we had Aaron Larsoul on earlier in the year. Yeah. And he talked about how, Vogel would be in the back of the plane with Aaron and Michael Thompson and the dudes from the camera crew. Right. And when they were going out, he'd invite them out to have a beer with them, you know, and there's this collaborative spirit of listening and of understanding that, of course, like think of the brain trust that they had on the bench, Jason Kidd, Rajon Rondo, LeBron James. There's so many guys in the organization that, and, and on the bench, especially Phil Handy that are considered like some of the most brilliant minds in the NBA game, some to ever play the game or to be involved in the game. And so Vogel would have to be, he'd be dumb to not want to tap into that. If you had that at your disposal and what you really want is to win, do you make it about, oh, you guys better listen to me and line up behind me? Hell no. You let them do what they do best and empower them to help have them do that. And I thought Vogel did a brilliant job of empowering the different people that he had, that he was working with this season. I think the most important part of that though, is that there is this idea that those are like conscious decisions, right? Like, um, like the way that you said it right there. And I don't think you meant it this way, but I want to make sure too, that we are expressing this the way that, that I think um, maybe captures it that there's one way to look at this like, oh, well, I'd be dumb if I didn't do it this way. So I guess I should versus no, he wants to like, like who he is. This is my natural disposition as as a person, right? That I am a collaborative worker. I am someone who wants to listen, who wants to, to um, get ideas from a, broad spectrum of minds and integrate that into the final plan in order to produce the best output possible. Right. Mm -hmm. And there is this, there are people who will go in that direction because it's best for them because, because the job at hand requires that. Right. And I think that it's those people that probably end up flaming out within a situation after two or three years because compromise is not their most natural disposition. Right. And you are always going to revert back to. mm -hmm. And, and in the end you can give up what you want to give up for a certain amount of time. But at the end, you're going to say, you know what? I think I want what's best for me now. I want to do it my way again. And 
the sense I got from Vogel, and we'll see how this plays out like over the sure. years, right? It could be great now, and it, yeah, this was kind of a dream season in a lot of ways. I, I also think that that's not a coincidence. I think the fact that Vogel is that type of person, I think that with however how well everything fit together on the roster and with Vogel amidst the roster and the coaching staff, I look to Palinka as, oh, this is somebody who really understands how people and, and how they work together. And the fact that he pursued Vogel, and the, the, now obviously we know how things transpired, right? Yeah. In, in, uh, in terms of how we got there. But the fact that um, I don't think that's a coincidence, right? I think that, that I think Palinka knew you had to have a certain type of coach, right? With a certain type of disposition and personality to work with all of these people with very forceful basketball opinions because they've spent their entire life really caring about the sport and really learning about the sport. And when you do that, you come away with very, you know, strong opinions. And a guy like Vogel, uh, his personality being as it is, like you said, it's his natural disposition, or at least appears to be that way. Um, that is something that I, I would be stunned if that was a surprise to Polinka. No. And so I'm glad we spent a lot of time talking about Vogel because I think over the course of, of this season, we've definitely given him his props and I don't think we've ever been dismissive of him as a basketball mind or as his talent, as, as a coach and as a decision maker. Mm -hmm. Um, we just don't always emphasize him. But, yeah, but yeah. but you know, on a team with LeBron James and and Anthony Davis, I think that there's this idea that oh, well anyone can do that. Mark Jackson even expressed that during the telecast, right? Like, oh, oh Frank, like, oh, well Frank Vogel, no, he did his job. Yeah, an incredibly difficult job. Like um someone had said on on Twitter like, oh, that's quite the perspective from Mark Jackson, right? Um it's quite the stance to take about how anyone could do what, or the implication that anyone could do what Vogel did because of the towel, towel in hand when, you know, yeah. he went, when he coached the Warriors and the coach right, right after him suddenly is coaching a dynasty, right? But Mark hmm. Jackson, he didn't coach a dynasty. Um, that's neither here nor there. I'm, <laughs> Talk I'm, to just, him, I'm just glad that we talked about Vogel a bit because um he is important man and and yeah. he did do a great job and i think that there has been a segment of the fan fan base that has been frustrated with him frustrated with his rotations frustrated that maybe he stuck with javel mcgee or why isn't so and so playing or and look even us i think like why is rajon rondo still a key part of the Absolutely. rotation mm -hmm. like right and we learned a lot about that didn't we we definitely did and look look that's a good pivot point. Rajon Rondo, 16 points. Yeah, man. In game six. He was what I learned from the Rondo experience over the last couple of years. And the idea of playoff Rondo is the, I'm, I'm speculating here, right? I would suspect that as a 33 year old point guard with, you know, he's gotten better as a jump shooter, but that he needs his time to be able to line up his shot mechanics. He'll knock down the wide open ones, but he's not a shooter, even at this point in his career. And doesn't have a great deal of size. Has also had several injuries over the last few seasons, right? That we talk about 
82 game players and 16 game players yeah. is he probably can't do 82 games and that's not unreasonable right at this at this age well he and, used to be both he sure. used to be well, both well, i mean all, yeah. all players are that way right like all players you eventually get older you get a little more beat up and uh there are guys you know andre iguodala has been a 16 game player for ages robert ori was a 16 game player for us he would disappear for large chunks of the regular season but when the stakes were there they were able to tap into that and rondo is that type of guy right but if rondo is not mentally focused the athletic be it his size uh or you know diminishing athleticism as he gets older or uh you know the ability to close out his lack of being able to shoot pull-up jumpers a lot of the shots that have become in vogue over the last five years he's aren't really in his nature he's a he's an old school point guard right and so all of the the regular season we talked a lot about focus right the regular season really emphasizes the worst in rondo the playoffs when he's got that focus he's really locked in but we even saw in this series like rondo was great in game two against the zone he was terrible games three through five man he was driving me nuts and then in game six but the difference was is that it was game six where we actually felt that like oh yeah we gotta we gotta get after it and when rondo when rondo locks in I don't think I've ever seen such a distinction in a player between when they lock in and when they don't. We talked about that earlier in a general team concept, but on an individual level, just the caliber of player that he becomes when he locks in is just, just the distances. It's so far from the guy that he was in the regular season. I just think that there's an idea with him where stakes and smarts collide yeah, And where those are most important is during the playoffs. And mm-hmm. I said this in, I think, a pod during the Houston series with the idea of playoff Rondo being a real thing. And I do think that as the stakes get higher and the lights get brighter, his want to perform and play well um, and the focus as needed to do that just naturally goes up with him. And I also think that as a, as a player who thinks the game and as a smart player, um, that the ability to then focus on individual things that work within a very specific matchup, maybe against another specific player or definitely against a single team over the course of what could be a week or two of basketball games, that those things then land right in the middle of the Venn diagram for yeah. how Rondo is going to excel or or inch towards the best version of of himself. So credit to him, man, but I just wanted to shout him out because he had a Yo. great game six. He was a difference maker yes. offensively um, and championship number two. Uh-huh. He helped he helped the Lakers' greatest rival win their 17th. And then a decade later, mm-hmm. right? Or, or 12 years later from sure. that from that champ championship, mm-hmm. he helped the Lakers then raise their own 17th banner. And and just a just a wonderful game from just a just a wonderful game from him. Um 
And there was a lot of great role player stuff this game. I thought KCP played great. I thought Danny Green played a really good game. I did too, yeah. Um, especially as a bounce back game coming back from from game five where, you you know, I don't think anyone took missing that shot like harder or more seriously than Danny mm-hmm. Green did. Um, you could tell by the look on his face right after the game, you could tell in his body language yeah. as he walked back through the um, – through the tunnel to go to the locker room. Um, And then with all the social media stuff that happened in the aftermath of that. And I don't want to get, get into that here because I don't even want to give that stuff life. No. no. Um, But to be as mentally strong as he needed to be in order to then bounce back in the way that he did and really just do his job. Yeah. I described those great defensive rotations, man. Well, I described him as as just the ultimate pros pro in my um, recap of the game. And, and I was just so happy for him. And a back-to-back NBA champion, Danny Green, right? He won last year with the Raptors and now won again this year with, with the Lakers. And I don't think stuff like that is a coincidence, man. Like, I just don't. He is a valuable locker room presence and a valuable on-court contributor to winning basketball and so i just really wanted to make sure that that we got you you know our little danny green blurb in for sure for sure let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll continue to talk about the lakers 17th championship Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. So right now, go to Indeed.com backslash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So let's talk a little bit about LeBron. He came here in the summer of 2018 to a 35-win team. The roster was comprised considerably differently than it is now. And... He'd been to eight consecutive NBA finals, which it's been a while since we've been on a finals run. And I think I have a new appreciation for how incredible that streak is of of eight straight in the modern game where there's 30 teams and the just the mental wear and tear of that along with the physical wear and tear, right? These are these are not regular season games for I think Mike Trudell tweeted that LeBron has played the equivalent of like 3.15 full 82 game seasons in the playoffs. And when you consider the intensity of those games, that's probably five regular seasons, uh, the equivalent of that, which is just, just nuts. 
and to, you know, putting up 30 and 12 and nine on 59% from the fleet field in the finals. Uh, but LeBron for, for all of the people that we're, we're praising now and that we're going to praise over the course of what's going to be a very fun off season. Um, LeBron is at the center of all of it. He's the most important person in the whole, in, in the whole galaxy, I would say. Right. Um, in that he's, his experience. I want to talk about this with you His experience in particular is there's nobody that's been a number one option on a finals NBA championship type contender for as long as LeBron James has been. There've been players like a Tim Duncan, for example, he uh, had that role for a very long time, but by the end he was one of the guys by this part of his career uh, in terms of seasons played, he was part of a system, right? Whereas LeBron is the the center of our system offensively yeah. and can still do wonderful things on the defensive end. What from as much as you know about the game and you internalize over uh, over your years, like what do you see from LeBron? How does he apply that unprecedented level of experience in a particular role? So let me just 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 say that LeBron is coming closer and closer to like Kareem. And so Kareem is the only other guy who I would say was the focal point of, um, of like championship level teams over the course of like this long of a stretch. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, you know, Kareem won, I think a championship as a second year player or something like that. He was a finals mm-hmm. MVP in 1974 and he was a finals MVP in like 1988 or something crazy, right? Or 1986 or seven. I think it was 85. 85 yeah. or 87, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, like 11, 12 years apart and he's winning finals MVPs. Like that's the level to me that like LeBron has been operating at. But I think LeBron takes it um, a level higher considering mm-hmm. the amount of ball handling and sure. offensive initiation that he does and, and doing a lot of this as a wing player. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get back to your point about experience and there is a steadiness and, and a couple of the players commented about this, I think just directly after the game in sort of their post game comments, Kuz did, I think, but um, it's been an ongoing theme, I think, during the playoffs and especially during the finals that there is um, there's sort of a buoy or like LeBron's the lighthouse, right? He, mm-hmm. is, he is that fixture for this team that is sort of the all-knowing person, uh-huh. but mm-hmm. also the person who can execute it on the court as well so i don't know if you ever watched the matrix movies oh yeah yeah so so he's like yeah he's like if the oracle and neo were like the same person (laughs) you know but 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 that's like the closest comp no that that i have yo brother that in a in a postseason full of wonderful soriano analogies i believe that's my favorite one but, you know, he just has all of this built-up basketball wisdom, and there is a steadiness and a calmness that I think players derive from him mm-hmm. because of that. 
they know that they've got this sounding board and this person who can call on memory all of this basketball experience and high-level finals experience to be their guidepost through all of this. But beyond that, this isn't a Udonis Haslam situation for the Heat, nope. right? Because I think Haslam was offering a lot of that to the Heat. But He's as, their oracle. Mm-hmm. Right? He is their oracle. But LeBron's also Neo. He is yeah. the guy who is busting your ass on the court as well. He's the one who can't be stopped. He, he The production... Right. And so not only is he talking to you and sort of grabbing your hand and being a leader through these dark patches of the woods that he has memorized because he's traveled them so many times before. He doesn't need a path. He understands turn left here, turn right there. Yeah, there's no signs here. There's no markers on the ground. But I know these lands. I've been here before. But there's also this idea of, yeah, and then when we get attacked, I'm just going to fucking break everyone off, right? Because that's how good I am. And and so in terms of deploying that experience in a practical application, he was doing that too. And there's a confidence that that inspires in especially, I think, role players, right? Oh, 100%. Because you're going to look to your leader on whatever team you're on. And in these playoff moments, like the, oh, oh shit, should we be worried right now? Even if it's subconscious, right? You might not do that. in chat, But if your leader is freaking out or if he's mentally checking out, uh, those are all going to be things that impact role players to an incredible degree. And so that confidence of him, of him being both the Oracle and Neo of him knowing exactly what they'll need to be doing and capable of doing it is there's nothing better for a role players confidence than knowing that you've always got that. Well, it speaks to, it, it speaks to that idea too, in which where there was that report, right? Where Rondo had said, where there were reports where Rondo had talked to LeBron about his body language, like, yeah. After the game four loss and his body language stuff was, I mean, people were in my Twitter mentions talking about that same, same exact thing. And that was before there was a Rondo report about him talking to Braun about that. And, and so I think that that's exactly right about players sort of looking to you mm-hmm. and how things can go awry when it's this, like yes. that as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Because when you take on such great import on a team, and you are the focal point of something, that matters too. And so we're going to get to AD in a second because I think AD was traveling both as a follower but also on a parallel path to LeBron in a very interesting way as like another just super-duper star-level talent who brings his own unique traits and He's just at a different point mentally in his career because he's so much younger. Yes, but he, so I think AD benefited as well from having LeBron's experience. Yes. Um, But that idea of having a player like this on your team, and I think it's been this way all season for the Lakers, right? Um, Go back, and we've talked about this a lot on the pod, and so if you've been a longtime listener, these these things are going to sound familiar. But going back to the China stuff, 
and the work that he did behind the scenes in terms of making sure that the players were not overexposed in China and that they weren't going to do a bunch of media, right? With the, with the U.S. media who had traveled to China mm-hmm. expressly for the purpose of being able to get quotes and comments from players sure. on the record for these games that they were supposed to play. Go back to his, his leadership in the aftermath of Kobe passing away and that speech that he gave in the first game after where he crumbled up his paper and spoke from the heart and and all of the leadership that he displayed in the aftermath of that of of keeping the team focused and like he talked a lot about i've got broad shoulders i will carry this burden and I had talked to you at the time about um, I honestly don't care if he wins a championship for this team. I don't know. I don't know where this season is, is going, but I can tell you that there's no other player I would have rather had on the, as part of this organization to help lead them through some of the things that this team had to face than LeBron James. Right. Um, and now they do have a championship and, and he did lead them there and he did get his fourth finals MVP and his fourth NBA championship and, and all glory to him for those accomplishments. But when I look at the path that this team has traveled and the role that he played in terms of helping them get there and the leaning on him from that experience standpoint, um, it was just invaluable to to what this team accomplished and he was at the center of it all even if he did have um another great high level teammate who brought his own valuable insight and perspective and leadership to to well to this equation as well but lebron was in year 17 and he's done and seen it all and in a season that was unprecedented in so many different ways, even if he didn't have experience in dealing with these specific things, um, the cumulative experience that he did have made him understand what was needed, even in times when there was no blueprint. That's right. And I think that having that type of experience that he has allows him to both anticipate and adapt. And anticipation in that you go through similar circumstances so many different times and you're in the same role, you've experienced all the different versions of it or more of the versions of it of how it can go than pretty much anybody else in in his uh, tenure. And so if certain teammates don't get along and it's for this reason – you can, or you can in, in helping put the team together, right? Like to whatever degree he has influence over that, that's something that can be spoken up before you create a certain dynamic, right? You've all of the whole league looks up to LeBron at this point of his career. Everybody in the league pretty much is younger than him. And they were in high school when he was just hitting the NBA. Like how many, what percentage of the NBA had, his poster on their wall or some sort of version of adoration. Right. And so he's 
been through all of these circumstances where he knows where things can go awry, where things can go off track and can help anticipate that to avoid the obstacle on this path. The adaptability comes into play when the path is different than it ever was before. Right. And in his experience, one of the things I've come to really appreciate about LeBron is his ability to see the entire chessboard. Yeah. And understand how different dynamics impact different. So for example, the, this guy's cold, but I'm going to make this kick out pass to him anyway. And Anthony Davis against a really good team is struggling against double teams. But what's best for us long-term is for Anthony Davis to get reps against double teams in this regular season where we know that we're going to, we can be as, as fans so zoomed in on this game, right? This game against Philadelphia, we played like crap against Philly or Boston beat the hell out of us in a regular season game. And it's the end of the world. And, you know, AD needs to get better at this. And this guy needs to get better at that because we don't want to lose a game like that again. It's knowing that the experience for the players around him will pay off to some degree in, in, the, in the playoffs. Well, also, too, just to piggyback on, on that idea, especially in regards to AD, it's not only, yeah, let's keep going to this, let's, let's get the reps, but after the game or the next morning, let's watch film on that. All let's it, look man. at this together. Let's, let's take a closer look, yeah. Right, yeah. let's talk about what the read is here and tell me what you saw. This is what I see, right? A lot of that back and forth that helps grow um, a great player as well, right? You, you know, AD talked about during this playoff run, you, you know, him hopping on a bus from Chicago and going to, to Ohio in order to participate in LeBron James's camp when he's a high school player. And now all of these years later to be on his team and that idea that you talked about earlier of LeBron sort of being an, an idol to these guys or a role model or something to look up to and, and aspire towards. Well, now you've got on his own, one of the best players in the world in Anthony Davis, who is still seeking out ways to improve, trying to find ways to be the best version of, of himself. And so when you talk yeah. about that experience that LeBron offers, it's to a player like AD, it's not only someone who can give sage advice or break down film, film with you, right? But it's someone who can be as a sounding board and a listener and, and just sort of, accept those ideas as ah like i see what that that is well here's what i think about that too right and not telling him this is what it should be or this is how you have to do it but also but not even also just more of yeah this is a give and take a real partnership and lebron That's has it. talked the about partnership cooperation yes and lebron has talked about that about like the no egos and and uh, holding each other to a high standard, and he gets on me, and I get get on him, and not being jealous of each other, and we're just trying to really elevate each other the best way that we can, and that's invaluable for all players, but I think it's especially valuable for a player like Anthony Davis. 
how many people have lived a similar life to Anthony Davis in that, like, I know he went through his growth spurt, but by the time he was about to go to college, I knew who Anthony Davis was, you know, he was the number one prospect in the country, right? He wasn't ordained from 12, 13 years old, the way that LeBron was. So there's, it's not identical, but uh, AD was the number one recruit, went to Kentucky. The num- he was that, that prime prospect who had all of the physical tools, but also the drive. Anthony Davis is wonderful in that you can tell how much he's worked on his game. Obviously, he's blessed with these extraordinary tools, uh, but he does a lot of things that can only come from hours in the gym working diligently on your game, not just getting shots up, but working with purpose, working on the details, the little aspects of footwork, of ball handling, of and, and he's supremely developed from a one-on-one perspective. And we really reaped a lot of the benefits from that in this postseason. I think LeBron being on a similar track, right, in that he was also that prime prospect that had enormous physical tools. But LeBron, I think, has helped ADC more of the chessboard. I don't think like LeBron may be the best ever in that respect of seeing all of it. Uh, But a guy like Anthony Davis being able to see more of it, even if it's not to the level of LeBron, is extraordinarily valuable, extraordinarily valuable to not just this season, but to who Anthony Davis can be going forward. And it will mean a lot to the future of the franchise. And it's because LeBron James can relate to Anthony Davis on certain levels that only a handful of people on the planet can relate to him. And I think that when you tie that into the adoration of uh, that, I'm going to hop on the bus and go to his basketball camp combined with LeBron's embrace of him rather than the listen up young fella, I'm not, I'm going to tell you how it is and do what I say. Right. Like, so there's this empowerment of AD in it, that, that cooperative partnership it's you're looking at really one of the great duos in NBA history, both in terms of talent, but even more so how they fit together. The fit is just, it's beautiful in basketball senses in off court senses. Just it's, it's one of the great duos of all time. And we're really blessed to see the first year of it. And it turned into a championship. Yeah, so let's talk about AED a little bit more. That that idea about um, how many people can have sort of lived the Anthony Davis experience, right? And and LeBron being one of those types, right? That idea of you being the top high school player and then the top college player and then being drafted number one overall. And LeBron spoke about this some. Um, last night as well, right? The idea of, I also walked that path of being with a team for seven years to start my career and not getting over the hump and wondering what else I could do. And I need maybe a little bit more. And am I, and am I going to get this here? And then making life decisions, right? And so there's a lot of parallels there that I think AD can, can relate to. But this is something that you've talked to me about a bunch both on and and off the pod, that idea of like once in a generation player, right? Mm-hmm. And um, LeBron was one of those. Um, AD, I think, was looked at as one of those. Um, Shaq, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Kareem, Magic Johnson, but there's not a lot 
of those guys. One or two every 10 years. Who, so. who have graced yeah. the league, right? I think that hindsight will tell you we probably should have looked at some of these guys this way, like a Kevin Durant. Right. Uh, oh, like this dude's 6'10 and, or 6'11 and he shoots like a shooting guard, but is tall like a center and he moves like a freaking gazelle. Right. Like, we probably should have looked at him that way, too. But he went number two in his own draft. Um, you could go on and on and on. But Anthony Davis's progression as a player and one of the things that I've appreciated about him is the clear-eyedness that he's had about what he wants and what his goals are. I, oh, interesting. Um, no, what do you mean just, by that? Look, man, like, it was messy the way that he left New Orleans. <laughs> and New Orleans fans still have um, a petty streak against him for the way that he manufactured his exit out of there and then especially to manufacture it to go to los angeles to play for the lakers to play with lebron james those are all things that carry a certain weight with them that's going to offer blowback especially from the fan base of the organization that you left but anthony davis said and it's and it's a weird contrast, right? Because you remember when he wore that that's all folk shirt and he and and then he said, Oh, someone else picked this picked these clothes out for me. I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even remember or I didn't even know. And there was this idea that people are pushing him in a certain direction. Yeah, and that was definitely really... a troll, right? A subtle troll like, oh, you don't think I have agency over my own life, right? And, and does he really know, but does he really know what, what he wants? Or are there people and forces behind the scenes that are sort of pushing him in a certain direction? Look, what I will say though is, is Anthony Davis said, I'd like to play for the Los Angeles Lakers. I'd like to play with LeBron James. I want to play deep into the playoffs. I want those opportunities. This is the stage I want for myself because I believe I'm one of the best players in the world. And I want, not, not only do I want that challenge, I want to show I can meet that challenge because I have confidence in myself to be one of the very best players that the world has to offer in terms of basketball. And there is a... Those ideas about working in the gym and advancing your game and all of that, all of that comes from an inner drive. It's what makes the best players the very best players, right? Is that no one else is motivating them. They're motivating themselves. And they have all of these tools and they have all of these gifts and they have all of these instincts and all of those things combined to give them a, a baseline, a platform that they can then stand on top of in order to be truly excellent at something. But bridging that space between what the baseline says I am and what I can be that's all work. That's the work. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what the, the clear-eyedness that I'm talking about with, with AD is understanding that that way over there, like the moon, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to get to the fucking moon. Yeah. And I'm going to, and I'm going to do everything I can mm-hmm. to achieve the goal that I have in front of me. And 
And I don't know, man, like there's a certain amount of reverence I have to have for that sort of idealism and belief in yourself because I think that's what makes those can't miss guys can't miss. It's that idea of, yeah, people been telling me this whole time that I'm supposed to be great and that I'm going to be great, but none of those words make it so. Right. The things that make it so are the individual player and individual person deciding I'm going to do everything it takes in order to get there myself. Right. And, and I was just appreciative of all of that as he stood up there and talked and he's holding the championship trophy. Just that idea of like, this is what I wanted and I did it. Yeah. Um, just a special, special player, man, and a special, yeah. special talent. And the, idea, the ability and even the idea to sort of fathom the, this idea and, and then carry it forward that, yeah, you know what? I'm going to look at LeBron James like a peer. I'm going to yeah. look at him in the eye and hold him accountable for things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to push him in the same way that he's pushing me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, and for LeBron yeah, look, James to see that talent himself yes. and accept that. Right? Let's talk about that dynamic, right? It's very easy to talk about the older brother, little brother dynamic and how the bigger brother benefits the the younger one. But AD was enormously beneficial for LeBron this season too. He was just, he was exactly what LeBron needed at exactly yes. the right time in his career. Yes. He was invigorating. He, yeah. He was the driver, I think, like... I think LeBron had a bunch of self-mode motivation. He spoke about that a lot in the aftermath of, of winning game six. Um, that whole idea of the revenge tour, he didn't say those specific words exactly, but when he talked about he wants his, his damn respect, you know where that came from. Um, that idea of him being injured last year and, and everything else. So I don't want to chalk this all up to AD by any means. LeBron is obviously driven in the same way that Anthony Davis is driven, right? And has been doing this for a lot longer. That said, AD as a player and as, um, and as a burgeoning and emerging leader himself was able to say like, yeah, like, guess what? The coach wants us to play defense. I'm the, I'm sure he looks at himself as the best defensive player in the world. We're going to play defense. Mm-hmm. He said before the season, I want LeBron to make first team all defense, right? People were making memes about LeBron James last year mm-hmm. because of his defense. He had those same types of James Harden memes go going on, right? Little short clips of, Kyle Kuzma shoving LeBron James in the back to make a closeout of LeBron standing in the same place on a defensive possession for six, eight, ten seconds and literally not moving at all. That was that was a shadow over his first season with well with the Lakers. If I don't know what drove LeBron to play defense at the level that he played this season, but I guarantee a part of it and probably a big part part of it was Anthony Davis's ability on that end yeah. and knowing that this player is special on that end and I've got to try to meet a certain standard in order to make this team as great as it can be and the driver of that is this guy who is 
one of the best players in the world. And then stack that on top of AD's great offensive talent and how he complements LeBron as both an inside player who can be there as a vertical threat or a dump-off option on LeBron drives, but also a floor spacer who can space to the three-point line and hit shots to allow LeBron the driving lanes. He's a player who can receive an entry pass. LeBron can then skirt to to the weak side, and then AD can operate in one-on-one situations in ways that that allow LeBron to... um, in-game load manage, right? So there's all these benefits, both tangible and intangible, that LeBron gets from playing with a player the caliber of Anthony Davis as well, especially a big man player, right? It's one thing to be like, oh, well, he had Kyrie Irving before. Kyrie Irving was a great offensive player. He had Dwayne Wade before. Dwayne Wade was a amazing two-way player. Those guys are also, you, you know, 6'1 and 6'4 guards. This Anthony Davis is 6'11", 7 feet with broad shoulders and the wingspan of a pterodactyl. He is the most gifted player that LeBron has ever played with. And, yeah. and so how could, if, if iron sharpens iron and, and the rising tide lifts all boats, guess what Anthony Davis was to LeBron as much as LeBron was to Anthony Davis? Yeah, man. That's exactly right. There's a vitality in that younger player. And the there's a partnership there that can't exist between any other two players on the team due to the amount of uh, both ability and responsibility that comes with that ability that I think LeBron being able to, as they're going into the tunnel, talk about that, that double team that AD misread or even off of the court type of stuff, right? Anthony Davis is trying to build his career in the multifaceted ways that LeBron has, right? And so it's funny, we get the, uh, for the Lakers video stuff, if you ever watch the little like one minute videos that were released, the highlights and stuff, at the end uh, for the playoffs, it said, leave a legacy. And it was, it's in each of the players handwriting. And so we've got signatures, like video clips, files of each of the players signing, players signing, leave a legacy. And LeBron and AD are the only, like, so LeBron's has a king or a crown underneath the League of the Legacy. And then AD's has a unibrow underneath his. And they're the only two players that have some sort of branding component to that, right? And that's, that's part of the game. That's part of what they're trying to do with their lives more than an athlete, right? Yeah, And that's also what I love about the Lakers and, and their approach. And this is something I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of my understanding of how the organization works in this respect. But that collaborative approach isn't just like, okay, we're going to win basketball games and that's where we're going to collaborate. It's in that, you know, like, let's expand Anthony. Da- There's no reason Anthony Davis shouldn't be one of the biggest stars in the world. I... I didn't realize how good this dude was. Like I I'd watched him and I had seen him in, in the context of the Pelicans and I watched a lot of tape on him. He's also gotten significantly better over the course of the year. So like the players that, and that's, that comes from that partnership with LeBron. Anthony Davis should be one of the biggest basketball stars in the world. And a guy like LeBron, a team like the Lakers, that's part of the, the value of that is like, we, we want to help empower that. Look, man. For all of the Lakers exceptionalism and, oh, big market and the beach and the weather and everything else and these ideas that the Lakers um, 
haven't sort of earned mm-hmm. some of what they've gotten based off of legacy and location. Um, I, I call bullshit. You earn your legacy, right? You earn your exactly. reputation. That's and right. the Lakers were a down team, but guess what? They just won their 17th NBA championship. The, I've said this a hundred times before. Yes. The history yes. of the league cannot be written without the players whose names are etched in stone in jerseys up on the wall of the Staples Center. George Mikan, Will Chamberlain, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, and now LeBron James, and now Anthony Davis. And so miss me, miss me mm-hmm. with all of the BS about they haven't earned it or just put every team in, That's right. in, in a big market and then make everything fair. No, part of, the, part of the allure of the Lakers is that they are a gigantic brand with a massive fan base that has been built up over decades mm-hmm. All that, those decades worth of work matter. And they didn't just go away because we were bad for seven years, right? It, that all of that, that matters. And it, I always, when I argue with people on Twitter about this point, and I don't really want to get all the way into it, I'll, I'll always say there's levels to it, right? I talked a lot this year about how multifaceted the sport of basketball is. And that's just talking about the on-court game. But the same is true of the off-court game as well. And I understand this component much less than I, than I understand the on-court game. But the, the work that – so Palinka's Genius Series, where they just got somebody to come in that's a leader in their field – that all these guys know that they look up to and talk like the rock comes down. Right. And, and talks to the team for 45 minutes and it, it, it comes down to, so that, that idea of genius tying back to LeBron and AD is to some extent, the great players in our game stand on the shoulders of those who came before them. Right. Obviously like magic Johnson is a, an enormous influence on LeBron James. So LeBron wouldn't be this version of himself exactly if Magic Johnson didn't exist, right? And that said, there's also a significant portion of, of those who really push things forward. Remember Kobe's last tweet, keep pushing the game forward, right? Those who push things forward that it's, it's a path that you cannot have company on. It is lebron's path to go down to change the course of basketball of how it's played of the history of the sport in his own way and the same is true of anthony davis and they're not going to be the same way because they're different people and they're different players but there is some degree of originality of some you don't know it's new you don't know something's going to work that's new until after it's happened right there has to be somebody who does something a different way and anthony davis who's 611 with those broad shoulders but it's like oh he's both a monster big but he's also a wing. Oh my God, this guy's a wing. Isn't he a wing? And it all, it all clicks into place. Oh, but he's this devastating defender too. And so there's, there aren't a lot of parallels in the history of the NBA to an Anthony Davis. And like, like to me, he's the, he's the uh, evolution of David Robinson in some aspects of his physical game, right? But 
other aspects, they're, they're different. And so there's, there's always going to be some degree of originality. And that's one thing that I love about the Lakers as an organization is how they embrace the best of people and, and they embrace, they empower people to let that come out. And that can be on the court. It can be off the court. And all of that work plays into the multifaceted nature of basketball that I think a lot of the people who cover the NBA, they, they end up with those very reductive arguments of, of weather and legacy, even though legacy, like that's, they're not wrong with that. We build on our previous successes. Um, that it's because they don't see the different facets on which we are. We do know what we're doing. Well, I would say too, that it's like, there is that platform that just exists and the players want that platform. There was, as I was scrolling through Twitter last night, there was someone, and I can't remember who, or else I would give them cred credit here, is they had posted that old clip of Kobe Bryant talking about the idea of um, everyone isn't built to come and play for the Lakers, that there's, and that if he has to recruit you to come, to try to convince you to come to play for this organization, then it's probably not right for you in the first place because there is a certain standard that players are held to and, and there's a lot of pressure that comes from that. And so all of those things are baked in together, right? And so the type of player who wants all the accolades but doesn't want to carry the burden, right? That player is not going to be the right fit for Mm -hmm. the Lakers. Um, But when you have talents like LeBron or Anthony Davis who can hold up both ends of that bargain, yeah. Right. And then understand how that can then be used by them as well. in again, a partnership to elevate their own position and their own place in the present, the future. And in, and when they're, when, when they're long gone, they're the past, right. And that legacy of leaving a legacy, that idea that you just spoke about, that mm-hmm. those are things together, by the way yeah those are things that players understand as well too right and so and and maybe this is a good place for us to almost wrap up right because the lakers as a franchise have gotten back i think to where they think that they belong but mm-hmm. the place that they belong only exists because of all of the efforts that they've done and the work that the work. they've done mm-hmm to get there in the first place. Right. And, and the acquisition of talent is just one part, part of it. There's a nurturing of that and there's a surrounding of them with the right people to help propel them. And there Mm -hmm. is a give and take and a back and forth and an understanding that we're in this together, that you're not just players on, on the court for us, your family. And that's an idea that we talked about a few pods ago, but it's true. It's true. And you could see it in all of the comments from, especially from Jeannie Buss, but also from Rob Polinka and from LeBron James, that there's this idea of like, we did this, us. Yeah. And, and carrying that forward into next season and the season after that and the season after that and 
who potentially the next star could be or whatever and on and on and on those ideas sort of build on each other right in order to try to continue to stay at the top and it was a long journey back. I, I know some people will mock that that idea that it was a long journey back. Um, oh, seven years, you missed the playoffs. Uh, boo-hoo, right? Oh, 10 years since your last championship. Oh, oh, bye, right? And when you frame it that way, like, I get it. I get it, right? I've always said that the Lakers have given me multiple lifetimes worth Mm-hmm. of joy as as yeah. a fan and i've yeah. been beyond spoiled to see some of the great players who who have played this game that said the path that this team had to take in order to get to where they are was an arduous one it was one with plenty of pitfalls and 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 plenty of opportunities to, for things to go sideways and plenty of times where mentally and physically they could have said, yeah. like, what the hell is this? Yeah. We, we got to deal with this now? Yeah. Right? They have a lot of mental strength to get through this season. But at the end, they were the champions. And I'm going to cherish this one, man. More, maybe more than some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. No, this is because, right, right at the top for me, man. Just because of all that it took. And this specific group of players, a bunch of players who were in their own ways doubted, sometimes by outsiders, sometimes by us, by you and me, right mm-hmm. on this podcast, sure. right? Saying that they weren't good enough or they shouldn't have a role or why are they signing this guy? Why'd they bring that guy back? And those guys coalesced and they came together and they won it, man. They won yeah. an NBA championship. Mm-hmm. And that is forever. That's forever. We've got this forever, man. No, no one can ever take this, this season away from us. Um, there's no way that I could say all of the things that I want to say in one podcast. And, and so I, we're going to continue celebrating this team going forward. But uh, just a couple of things I, I wanted to say was just to the listeners, um, you guys have have really the support that we've gotten and the, the way that, um, that you guys tune in and participate and give credence to our voices, you know, uh, it, it's really a blessing that you've, you know, you've changed both of our lives and had a big, big impact on us, uh, because of what, you know, because you tune in and you think that we've got something worthwhile to say and to go through this journey, with uh, I'll refer to the listeners as Lakers Twitter, right? Because most of the people who listen to the show, I think, are, are part of Lakers Twitter. Um, to go on this journey and build this community that we've built, uh, I think that in some ways, Lakers Twitter is a microcosm of why the Lakers, as an organization, work. In that we are, we're a tight knit group. We're very collaborative. Uh, you know, a lot of the people who are making content support each other. We retweet each other. We bullshit with each other and mention in each other's mentions um, and also participate with the fans. Right. And, and uh, that it's not it's about the Lakers. It's about the basketball and it's about a, sh- a shared joy of that rather than than anything else. That's why we're all here. We all love the sport. We all love the team. And this podcast has always been we've tried to be dedicated to f- fairly little in the way of frills and um, just, just 
talk the game. And that leads me to the second thing that I want to say. Um, it's a, it's meant a lot to do this with you. You know, you're a, I've always looked up to you for being the real deal, for being about the work, for being about the basketball. Um, you know, I've always in our private conversations, I've been like, "Oh, Darius, you, you, you're the, you'd be the biggest star if you just tried to go for it, man. Like, quit your job, let you know, go for it." And you know, you're the, you've been the best Lakers rider for well over a decade, and. Um, not in a way that, that repre- it's represented, represented by page views or um, engagement metrics because that's not shit that you really devote a lot of your attention to. You run your little boutique, I'm using my air quotes, right? Your little that's boutique right. uh, website, Lakers website, and you do what you do. And if people love it, that's great. If people don't, whatever. Um, but there's no one else that I know that I could have these types of conversations with that really has a love and devotion to the basketball first and foremost, that has been a, that's been a Laker fan for as long, for even longer than I have been. Um, that, and that cared about the team every step along the way. Um, I love you and uh, congratulations, man. Oh man, you're going to make me cry. I hope so. <laughs> you know, I will just say that, First of all, I truly appreciate all of those kind, well, kind words. I don't necessarily think they're all true, but I definitely appreciate that you believe them, right? Um, I will say, though, that there was a long time ago now, years ago, it feels like, when you reached out to me and you said, hey, you know, I think I, think I want to start a podcast and... And I want to do it with you. And I thought to myself, you know, I've never even considered doing a podcast before. I've never thought that um, it would be something that I'd want to do. But you know what? Like, I trust you, Pete. And if there's only one person I could do the pod with, it would be you. Right? And... Over the years, I think your dedication, your hard work, your relatability as a person and as a fan, and your earnestness as a, as a person and as a fan just shines through. And it's one of the reasons why this is the Laker Film Room podcast and not the Forum Blue and Gold (laughs) podcast. It's because you're the one that has taken whatever it is you think that I've done in the past, right? And whatever footprint I've left in the past, you're the one that has said, you know what? I can take that and I can do even more with it. And I can... I can expand and I can broaden it out and I can bring in even more people. And you have been, I think the epitome of a success story for what people want 
to think that they could do, right? Mm -hmm. But don't have the drive, don't have the smarts, don't have the thoughtfulness. There is a unique set of qualities that I think you bring to this every single day. And there's a reason why you're one of the ones that quote unquote made it out, right? When Kevin Durant was talking about blog boys, he wasn't talking about someone like you because you're the one, I'm just saying, because you're the one that has basically said, you know what, like we can do this better. We can do it smarter. We can interact and engage with people. We can bring them along with us. We can learn the game together and we can be smarter and better fans for it while also appreciating the brilliance of what we see every single day. And I think that's been your goal this entire time. And I think that you've been wildly successful doing it. And that's a credit to no one else but you. That doesn't have shit to do with me. No, it does. It's like I said earlier, man, we we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I was reading you for years and years and years, even emailed your ass and never, never returned my email. And I was like, sent you that long email about like, Oh yeah, I got this idea for this thing. Yeah. Anyway, fucker. Um, and, uh, but like years of reading you and being like in, in Harrison, right. It, Harrison was, you know, young at doing it. There, there are these different corners of NBA, NBA and Lakers Twitter in particular, where I was like, this shit's cool. I wish that there was more stuff like that. And it was, it very much coalesced with my missing basketball. I wasn't coaching anymore. I, I'd left it to, to, you know, help start a business. Um, I, I was missing basketball and also feeling a frustration from a fan perspective of sure. Not saying, and then finding a little bit of it on, on Lakers Twitter. And um, the, the part about like going forward and making it out or whatever, I, what I think I think that we're very much conditioned, and this this plays into the election, to all of the uh, the social justice movements, and that that are swirling around in the broader, you know, in COVID, all, the context of this season we didn't even get to really a lot of just the insanity of of just in the world, right? Um, but I think in a I, I've got a bit of a rebellious iconoclastic streak to me where. I um I really dislike kind of how things are set up in a lot of ways of how the world is. And I think that one of the main parts of why things are the way they are is I think that we're very much conditioned to feel helpless, to feel as though that idea that we have, that'll never work. Oh, this the, any bit of curiosity as little kids gets quickly beaten out of us by society in a lot of ways, any belief in oneself, we're very, and we're also very much conditioned to, to believe that we have to plug into the current infrastructure in order to thrive and be successful. And in an era where distribution is so different in that anybody can reach the rest of the world I was I was just a dude in the in the replies on Twitter, right? And then it became something more. Um, you don't need anybody else to to reach a lot of people, uh, but we're so conditioned to not believe in ourselves that if we really fucking went for it, that we could actually do it. And I happen to find uh, something where I um, like my talents match up 
to what this is. I couldn't just do anything and, and, and be successful at it. But that's true of everybody. Everybody who's listening to this show has talent in some area, has some sort of drive that occupies their idle thoughts. And um, that is, I mean, that just listen to yourself and, and, and try to believe in yourself to, to get to there. Um, and just what you said, like, you know, you know how much I revere you and how much I look up to you. And just to hear what you said there, it meant, it means a lot to me, man. Um, we've got so much more to cover, um, but we're going to do that in future pods. Uh, love you all. Congratulations. Please enjoy this. We're going to celebrate the hell out of this season, both on the LFR pod and beyond. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it! Brian, yes, and that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.